Over the last few months, it's been great to see four people connected with this church give their lives to Jesus. That's been amazing. And over a period of time, some of them for many years, others just over a few months, they've heard about Jesus, they've read about Jesus, they've talked about Jesus, and then they've reached a point where they've crossed over from darkness to light, from death and into life as they've put their faith and their trust in Jesus. Having heard lots about Jesus, who he is, why he came, what he accomplished, they've made that decision to then surrender their lives to him and they've asked him to be their lord and savior and that's fantastic isn't it it's absolutely brilliant there's nothing more important than seeing people surrender their lives to jesus to live a life of worship to him and not only have four people been saved over these last few weeks and months as i mentioned already there's at least eight people that i know of who would like to get baptized that's just fantastic it's really really great Amazing. And over the next few months, we'll be holding a few baptismal services, as I've said, where these folks and hopefully a few more will get baptized. And as we've already seen this morning, when we get baptized, we are symbolically and spiritually linking ourselves with Jesus in what he did as he died, as he was buried, and as he rose again. And we're we're demonstrating, we're saying to, to God, we're saying to the world around us, we're saying to our church family that my life is dead, I've buried my old life and I've begun a new life in Christ. And we show that what he achieved, what Jesus achieved for us there on the cross, as he was buried, rose again, and, and uh, as he conquered death, that that has been applied to our lives through faith in him. And these folks have all reached that point in their life where they've made their mind up about Jesus, they've heard lots about Jesus, and they've reached that point where they've said, I'm trusting in Jesus. They've made their mind up about who he is and what he's done. Over the last few weeks, last few months even, we've been working our way through John chapter 7 and John chapter 8, which covers a period of time of about 10 days in Jesus' life. And at the end of John chapter 8, we get to what are about four or five of these days of Jesus' life, during which Jesus is teaching and preaching at this special feast festival in Jerusalem and he makes some massive claims about who he is and what he'd come to do and at the end of all that Jesus has to say over these few days it was time now for the people who've been listening to make their minds up about what they'd heard from Jesus to decide what to do with all of the information all the claims that Jesus had been making and even the things that they'd seen Jesus do Jesus had claimed that he was God come as a human being he claimed that his teaching therefore were was God's teaching his words were God's words Jesus had claimed to be the fulfillment of the whole of the Old Testament all the prophecies were all fulfilled in Jesus and Jesus claimed to be the Messiah the Christ the one that God had promised was coming God's King in God's world and Jesus had told them that he was going to die and he was going to return back to his father in heaven And he told them that he was the only person through doing all this that could satisfy their hunger and their spiritual thirst. He was the only one that could give them real life, spiritual life that would transform their lives and give them eternal life. But at the end of all that Jesus had to say to to them, he then says these words, which are the last words that Stuart uh, looked at us um, uh, with 
just two weeks ago. It's the last verse of the passage that Stuart looked at us for uh, two weeks ago. And he says this as he's wrapping up all that he said over these four or five days of preaching and, and the claims about who he is. He says this, he who belongs to God hears what God says. And remember, Jesus has already claimed that he is God. He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. After all that he'd said to them, Jesus' verdict was that they weren't able to hear what he was saying. They were hearing it physically, but they weren't getting it spiritually. They weren't getting it in their heart. They, they, they just wouldn't accept it in their hearts. And not only could they not accept who Jesus was and the claims that he was making, they actually really quite aggressively kicked back against uh, what he was teaching. So we're going to read this last section of John 8, which brings to an end these few days of teaching of Jesus at this festival in Jerusalem, the Feast of Tabernacles. But before we do this morning, I just want to pause and, and, and just kind of bring out a challenge to you this morning. If you have yet to put your faith, your trust in Jesus, if you've yet to surrender your life to him, then maybe this morning is the time for you to make your mind up about Jesus. These folks had heard lots from Jesus and maybe you've heard lots from Jesus and maybe you've yet to get to that place of deciding to surrender and follow Jesus and if that's you this morning can I encourage you this morning to give that the most serious thought that you possibly can we're going to read from John uh, chapter 8 it's and we're going to read from verses 47 to 59 so if you've got a bible and you want to turn if you're able to turn we're going to read John chapter 8 verse 47 uh, which is the last verse of the passage that Stuart read, and we're going to read through to verse 59. And you can just listen as well if, if you want to do that. And on your seat, there's an outline, and there's various things on there from what we're looking at this morning. So Jesus comes to the end of this bit of teaching, and he says in verse 47, He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word or obeys my word, he will never see death. At this the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you're demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father whom you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born... I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. The people listening to Jesus there that day really didn't like what he was saying and what he was teaching and what he was claiming, and they really reacted quite violently as, we've, as we're going to see. And this is how they respond. Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? This reads as a question, but it's not a question at all. It's the biggest, it's the grossest insult that they could possibly come up with 
as they react really aggressively to who Jesus is and towards the claims he's making. The Jews and the Samaritans absolutely loathed and hated each other. So for a Jew to accuse another Jew of being a Samaritan was the absolute worst possible insult that they could come up with against Jesus. It was the most extreme insult in that culture. And then beyond that, to accuse Jesus of being possessed by a demon or literally having a demon living in him was basically saying that he was controlled by Satan. And of course, if Jesus was a Samaritan, if he had a demon living in him, then that would conveniently mean they could dismiss all that he'd been saying. And of course, Jesus wasn't a Samaritan. He was a Jew, and humanly, he was descended right back to King David. And actually, beyond King David, he could trace his, his ancestry right the way back to Abraham. And you can see all that in the Bible if you want to see the, the human genealogy of Jesus. Jesus didn't have a demon in him. Quite the opposite. Jesus was God in the flesh. God come as a human being. This is what he says. I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he's the judge. They could have chosen to honor Jesus, God the Son, and also honor God the Father, but instead they chose to dishonor him, and in so doing dishonor God the Father, the one that they claimed as their God. One day in the future, God the Father would and will bring glory and honor to his one and only son, Jesus. God is going to do that. As a human being, Jesus never sought after his own glory. In fact, he did the complete opposite. He humbled himself. He lived uh, in the, the most obscure way, and he humbled himself to the very extreme point of dying on a cross. But God the Father did and does seek glory for Jesus, his one and only son. And ultimately, it's God's judgment about who Jesus is that really matters. And it's only God's verdict, it's only God's judgment that really actually matters. His assessment is the only truly accurate one. God the Father was and is able to judge that Jesus is truly worthy of all of the honor and all of the glory that anybody could ever receive because he is who he claimed to be and because he died and he rose again. And so Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep and obey his word. God the Father did and does and will in the future ensure that all of the glory will go to Jesus. Because he left his Father's side and he left the glory of heaven, that place that he'd occupied for all of eternity, and then he came to earth and became a human being, unrecognizable as anybody special, unrecognizable as God, humbling himself to the point of going to the cross. And right throughout his life here on earth, Jesus kept God's word. In other words, he obeyed every single thing that God had ever said and commanded. He pleased God the Father in every single way. When Jesus was baptized at the beginning of his public ministry, heaven opened and God cried out, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And in Philippians 2, we read these words. You can turn with it if you want. Turn with me if you want to Philippians 2 or you can just listen. Philippians 2 and verse 5. And Paul in this passage charts this uh, kind of journey of Jesus from the glory of heaven and that wonderful relationship he'd had with the Father through all eternity. And then as, God, as Jesus becomes a human being and humbles himself to the very depths, this is what it says. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. That's the song we were just singing. Now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow to the glory of God the Father. It's great, isn't it? It's fantastic that four people connected to this church have made their minds up to over the last few weeks and months to bow their knees uh, maybe not physically but in a kind of heart attitude and have chosen to surrender to Jesus as God as Lord as their savior they've chosen to bow the knee now they've chosen to confess to acknowledge Jesus as their Lord as their king as their savior and it's brilliant that we've got eight or so people and, and, and hopefully more wanting to publicly announce that by getting baptized it's fantastic it's amazing Sadly, though, most, if not all, of the people listening to Jesus, it seems, on that day, made their minds up and they did the opposite. They rejected him. In fact, they tried to stone him to death. And most people today still do reject Jesus. But one day, according to the Bible, according to Jesus in this passage, and according to Philippians 2 here, those same people that rejected him on that day will one day be forced to bow the knee, that one day they will be forced to acknowledge that Jesus is the King of Kings, that Jesus is God, to acknowledge him as Lord, even though they don't, even though they don't want to. And we all have a choice. We can either choose to bow the knee. That's what that song is all about. We can, the greatest treasure remains for those who now choose to do that. One day we will all be forced to do that. We can either make the choice to do it now and celebrate that, or we can reject Jesus and be forced to do that in eternity. And then in spend, in, instead of spending all eternity with Jesus, we'll instead spend all eternity separated from God and from all that's good in the place the Bible calls hell. Such an important question to ask ourselves, to be really honest with ourselves. Will I choose to bow the knee now? Is that a choice I will make today in my life to choose to bow the knee, a choice that we make to joyfully accept Jesus as Lord? Or will I reject Jesus now and be forced to do it when Jesus comes again and comes to rule and reign? Most, if not all, the people listening to Jesus that day chose to reject him, sadly. Maybe some of them subsequently to the resurrection did then become Christians, we don't know. But most of them on that instant anyway chose to reject Jesus. This is what we read in verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? There's a real kind of contempt and scorn from the people. Jesus had just told them that those who obeyed him, those who kept the words that he taught and said, would never die, by which he didn't mean physical death, he meant spiritual death. Spiritual death is being eternally separated from God in what the Bible calls hell. But because they were spiritually blind and, and spiritually deaf, they just weren't able to grasp what Jesus was saying and all they were thinking about was death in a physical sense Abraham the great father of the Jewish nation and all of the Old Testament prophets they were all dead they'd all long time died so who on earth did Jesus think he was by claiming that if people obeyed him they would never die 
Abraham was dead, so how was that possible? Of course, what they were missing was the fact Jesus wasn't talking about physical death, he was talking about spiritual death. And this is what Jesus said to them about Abraham. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. What Jesus was saying was that God had promised Abraham about 2,000 years earlier that he was going to send the Messiah and that the Messiah would be physically descended from Abraham. He was going to be Abraham's great, 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 great grandson and all the way down. It was through the Messiah, Abraham's great descendant, that God had promised to Abraham that he was going to bless the whole world. And that blessing is the forgiveness of sins, the relationship we got with God, that we can have the eternal life that comes through those that choose Jesus. That was the blessing that he had promised uh, Abraham. And when Abraham heard this, when Abraham was promised these various promises by God 2,000 years earlier, Abraham, according to Jesus, rejoiced at the thought of his great descendant coming and being the Messiah. And so, of course, Jesus was greater than Abraham. But to the Jews that were listening to him that day, it was a crazy claim because they were thinking, well, Abraham died way back in 1991 BC, over 2,000 years earlier. Verse 57, we read these words, you're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham? But then Jesus says something which outraged the Jews. They were already outraged. This was kind of outrage upon outrage. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. In this short statement, Jesus was making three enormously massive claims. Firstly, he was claiming to be the Messiah. He was claiming to be the Christ. He was claiming to be the one that God had promised to Abraham and to Moses and to, through the prophets and so on. He was claiming to be the one that God had promised would come and give his life as a sacrifice on the cross so that we could be saved from God's wrath against our sin. Secondly, he was claiming to have existed before Abraham was even born. And yet Abraham had been born 2,000 years earlier, 2,000 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And the way that Jesus could, ex could exist before Abraham was even born was because of his third claim. Jesus says this, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. Now, I am was the name that God had revealed himself to the people of Israel, particularly Moses, by at the burning bush 1,400 or so years earlier. When Moses asked God what his name was and who he should say he was speaking to uh, when he went to go and see the rest of the Israelites, God had said to him, this is my name, I am who I am. I am. I am who I am. It, and it basically just means that God is self-existent. God has always existed. He just is. I am. I is. I am. He's never not existed. In Hebrew, it's the, um, the name Yahweh or the word Yahweh. Jesus was saying, I am the I am. That is who I am. I am. I just am. I am the eternal, self-existing God. I am God. And the Jews completely understood what Jesus was saying. There was no doubt in their mind. We lose a little bit of it in the translation. But there was no mistaking the Jews understanding what Jesus was saying. Because they were outraged by what he claimed. Not only were they outraged what he'd been saying, but they were outraged at this claim to be, I am. They knew exactly what Jesus was claiming to be. They knew exactly that he was claiming to be God. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus 24, verse 16, God, the I am, 
had given this command to the people of Israel. This is what he'd said. Anyone who uses the name of the Lord, and when it's capital letters, L-O-R-D, Lord, in the, in the Bible, that's always this word I am or Yahweh. Okay, so um, anyone who uses the name of the Lord blasphemously or wrongly is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them. Whether foreigner or native-born, when they use the name blasphemously, they are to be put to death. So what we read in these verses that, is that this is the particular name that God had forbidden anybody to use wrongly or to appropriate to themselves. Anyone who used the name, the name I am, had to be put to death by being stoned to death. And these Jews listening to Jesus knew that Jesus was using the name and was claiming to be God. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. So they had a conclusion to make. Either Jesus was Yahweh, either he was the I am, either he was God, or he was blaspheming. He was a liar, probably a lunatic. Those listening to Jesus that day had a choice to make, and they made their minds up, and they chose to reject Jesus' claim to be God. And they tried to put him to death. They picked up stones. So verse 59 says this, At this they picked up stones to stone him. They, were, they thought they were fulfilling those, that, that command of God's back in Leviticus. This was a man. He was not God. So they were going to stone him to death. And it says there, They picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. In rejecting Jesus, they were rejecting God because Jesus was and is God. His words were God's words. And in verse 51, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps or obeys my words, he or she will never see death. And basically, Jesus was saying that those who have truly accepted him as their Lord and Savior will then demonstrate that by being obedient to his teachings, by being obedient to what he said. Obedience to the words of Jesus is the proof that a person has genuinely, truly accepted Jesus into their heart and put their trust in him and surrendered their life to him. And when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus and surrenders their life to him, God forgives their sin. God gives them a relationship with himself and gives them eternal life. When we're obedient to Jesus and keep his word and obey what he says, then we bring honor and we bring glory to him. Obedience to Jesus is an act of worship. As we obey Jesus' words, we're acknowledging that Jesus' words are God's words. We're acknowledging that. And as we do that, we're acknowledging that Jesus is God. And so that's, that's partly how we receive eternal life. Obedience to Jesus is an act of worship in and of itself. You know, worshipping Jesus isn't just what we do for an hour on a Sunday. We've had to kind of adapt how we worship, haven't we, during lockdown. We've had to not sing. So, we've had to th so how else can I worship God? Worship isn't just singing. Worship is so much more than just singing. Worship is so much more than anything we might do during a church service. If we trusted in Jesus, then we will spend eternity with Jesus, worshipping him and bringing him honour and glory. But we can do that right now by being obedient to his commands. And every act of obedience that we carry out, every time we are obedient to the things that Jesus asks us to do in the Bible, we are worshipping him. Obedience is worship. Every time I obey Jesus, every time I demonstrate my reverence, my fear of him, my, my, my kind of holy awe of who he is, I'm, I'm worshipping him. 
Our work, if we're doing it for Jesus, can be an act of worship. Our driving, if we do it in a way that honors Jesus, can be an act of worship. My sex life, my marriage, my, the, the way I manage my finances, all of these things can be an act of worship if we do them in ways that honor Jesus. I wonder if you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you recently about an area of your life where you need to obey Jesus or, and, and perhaps make a change in your life or, or by doing something specific, maybe specific to you that the Holy Spirit, Jesus through his spirit has been nudging you and, and, and kind of pushing you and challenging you about. Is there something that God has been saying to you? Jesus is God. And part of the, part of the demonstration that I'm truly honoring God and truly have accepted Jesus is that I then, when I'm given a choice, I obey Jesus. Every act of obedience is an act of worship. There's all sorts of ways in which we can show our obedience to Jesus' words. One of them is by getting baptized. That's a fantastic way of doing that. That's something that Jesus commands all who follow him to do. But maybe there's something else that, that God has been speaking to you personally about recently. I don't know what that might be, but... If that's the case, then can I encourage you? Don't, don't kind of ignore God's voice. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Can I encourage you to be obedient to Jesus and to give him the honor and the glory that he deserves? It's always good to ask ourselves on a, on a kind of regular basis, do my actions bring glory and honor to Jesus? Is how I'm living, is how I'm behaving, my speech, my, my actions, is it a be? Is my, is, is my life an act of honor and worship to Jesus? Does it bring glory and honor to him? Those listening to Jesus that day rejected him and they insulted him in the strongest way possible. They should have given him the honor and the glory that he deserved, the glory that he will one day get. But they did the very opposite. And if you've trusted in Jesus this morning, and that's perhaps pr probably most of us here today, which is fantastic, but... If you trusted in Jesus, then people will often, as a result, reject you. When we trust in Jesus, when we accept him, we then find ourselves following in his footsteps. And just as Jesus was rejected, so will we often be. Sometimes that's very forcibly, and sometimes it can be really unpleasant, can't it? Jesus said these words later on in, in, in John, 5, John 15, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. So when we're at work, when we're at school, when we're at uni, when perhaps in a non-Christian family, and there's, there's, there's aggression or there's, there's rejection of us or there's mocking or insults, remember that we're following in the footsteps of Jesus. If, he hate, if the world hates me, if it hates you, remember it hated Jesus first. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be prepared to experience the same kind of rejection that Jesus did. People will often reject us, and, and sometimes will even openly persecute us. It's becoming increasingly difficult to be a, a Christian in the UK today and to, to live by what the Bible teaches, to, to stand uh, and to be public about our faith in Jesus without getting really difficult opposition, to, to stand by the teachings of the Bible on all sorts of issues. It's increasingly difficult. And, and sometimes we'll suffer because we're following Jesus. It might be being shut out of a friendship group, being ignored. It might be being ignored in the office or at school or made fun of by people. Certainly for many Christians around the world today, probably on balance, most Christians around the world today, following Jesus means open hostility, it means persecution, and it even means death for lots of Christians in the world. Many Christians right this morning are experiencing terrible suffering right now in North Korea, in places like that, in labor camps, utterly 
terrible suffering for following Jesus. Look at what Paul says in Romans 8.17. The Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs of God. We are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. As those who've trusted in Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come to live within us and we've been adopted by God into his family. Now we are God's children. My children are my heirs. They will one day, they will inherit my vast and, and magnificent fortune. Daniel, you can have my 13-year-old Honda. It's, it's, it's yours. When we become children of God through putting our faith and trust in Jesus, we get to now be considered as heirs of God, heirs of our Father in heaven. We become co-heirs with Christ. Daniel's going to have to share my vast fortune with Naomi, but Jesus now shares the vast fortune of heaven, the wonders of heaven with us when we trust in him. The, the amazing thing is that when Jesus comes again to take us to be with God for eternity, we will then get to inherit great and amazing spiritual riches. And we become joint heirs with Jesus of all of the glory and the honor and the blessings that are rightfully his. Jesus is God's one and only son. And yet when God adopts us into his family, we are in Christ. And so in Christ, Jesus shares the blessings and the glory and the honor and the eternal riches that are his by right. And he shares them with us. It's amazing, isn't it? Utterly staggering. As, as followers of Jesus, we sometimes have to share in his sufferings. As people reject us, as they rejected Jesus, and sometimes people will persecute us. But if and when we find ourselves sharing in Jesus' sufferings, then we can keep going through those sufferings, knowing that one day we will also share in his glory. Isn't that amazing? We sometimes will share in his sufferings, but we will all, if we've trusted in Jesus, share in his glory. Jesus has to some extent chosen to share his wonderful position as God's son with us. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us this, that Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters. You ever notice that? Jesus, God, God's son, calls us his brothers and sisters. Hebrews 2 verse 11 says this, both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, that's those who've trusted in Jesus, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. You are Jesus' younger brother or sister. It sounds irreverent, doesn't it? But if we've trusted in Jesus, then not only is he our God, our Lord, our Savior, our King, but amazingly, staggeringly, he is our spiritual older brother. And he's chosen to share all of the blessings and the riches and the glory and the honor that are rightfully his with us, we are now heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians 2. God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we trusted in Jesus, then we are now his brothers and sisters. And when he comes to rule and to reign and reigns for all eternity, we, in some mind-blowing way that I don't understand, get to share in that glory, the glory that is Jesus. We read earlier from Philippians 2 about how God the Father will exalt Jesus to the highest place and giving him all of the honor and the glory that are rightfully his for all that he's done and for all that he is. 
And the phenomenal and the staggering and the amazing truth of the Bible is that Jesus shares that glory with us because we are in Christ. Not satisfied with forgiving our sins and making us holy and making us perfect and adopting us into his family and giving us eternal life. He then chooses to share in the glory that he deserves with us. It's a little bit like an an athlete winning the the 100 meters at the Olympics and then as they're receiving the, the medal and the flags are going up and the national anthems are being played and all that kind of stuff... That athlete then runs out into the crowd and grabs somebody who can't even walk, let alone run or compete in the 100 meters. And then they take them up onto the stage and they share the moment of glory with that unknown person. And they give them their medal. It it would be totally undeserved. It would make no sense. It would be a crazy thing to do. And yet that is exactly what Jesus does with us. We are incapable of doing what Jesus did, living that perfect life, dying that substitute sacrifice, death, to deal with our sin. So Jesus came and did it instead of us, in our place. And then as God the Father gives Jesus all of the honor and all the glory that he deserves for who he is and for all that he's done, Jesus then chooses to share that glory with us in eternity. It's it's outrageous. It's an outrageous act of grace and love. It is staggering. None of us here today are facing physical death because of our love for Jesus, but we might still be suffering. Verbal abuse at school or maybe career paths blocked, shut out of family gatherings, laughed at, maybe accused of things, false accusations. Maybe that you're having a really hard time at school because you love Jesus. Maybe that you're having a really hard time at work or in your family. But when you suffer because of Jesus, remember, write this down. It's so important. When we write things down, it just imprints in our mind. You will also share in his glory. When you suffer because of Jesus, remember that you will also one day share in his glory. It might be tough for you right now or at some point in the future. I think it will get tougher for us all here in the UK to be authentic followers of Jesus. But one day... Jesus will share his glory with you if you've put your faith and your trust in him. And the blessings that you will receive will be truly out of this world. Everyone will one day stand before Jesus. For those who've rejected Jesus, it will be a great day of sadness and terror as they're forced to bow down before Jesus and acknowledge that he is who he said he was, that he is God, and then be cast into what the Bible calls eternal wrath and and, and eternal punishment for their sin and their rejection ultimately of God, of Jesus. For those who've made their minds up and have trusted in Jesus, like the four folks here recently at Regent and and, and the eight folks wanting to get baptized, it will be a phenomenal great day of celebration and worship. And as staggering as it may seem, we will get to in some way share in the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you this morning and we worship you. We acknowledge, we proclaim, we confess that you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. We profess, we proclaim that you are King. You're the Lord of our lives. You're the King. You are the eternal God. You are the I Am. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you that you've revealed God fully to us in this way. Your words are God's words. We thank you for the wonderful relationship that we can have, the eternal life, the forgiveness. Help us to be obedient to you. Help us to uh, 
uh, worship you not just now, but through all of our lives uh, in acts of obedience that honor and glorify you. Lord, as we sometimes face opposition and, and, and sometimes perhaps to some degree suffer for being your followers, help us stand strong. Help us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Help us to endure as Jesus did with that wonderful knowledge that one day we will be with you face to face. And we will in some ways share in your glory. We worship you. We praise you. We give you thanks. In the amazing, wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.